It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! Welcome back to another episode of the RV. On today's episode, we are headed to Italy to speak with Robert Pardi. Robert is an author, international keynote speaker, transformational life coach, and adjunct professor. His latest book, Living Possibility in Action, is out now. Ciao, Robert. Welcome to the RV. <laughs> Ciao. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be on your show. It's my pleasure, Robert. And I'm so happy to have you here, really. You are originally from Brooklyn, US, and now you are living in a little medieval village in Abruzzo, Italy. Yes. I read that it's one of the most beautiful towns in Italy. It is a, be it is a beautiful town. Um, it is very small. There's only 900 people. There is a castle in my backyard. Um, there's a small little piazza, but it's very, it's very welcoming. And I have to say, part of my whole life journey, there was a point that I'm sure we'll talk about where I had to ask myself if I was living my dreams. And I had always wanted to live in Italy because I'm also Italian. Mm -hmm. And just one day I left everything and I moved to this. I didn't move to this town. First, I moved to Rome. And then when I needed to go through the citizenship process, I came to this small little town for documents because my family came from here and fell, absolutely fell in love with it. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Under the Tuscan Sun. Yes, I did. I lived that. I bought a house. There were no windows. There were just holes in the walls. There were birds and cats and it was filthy. But the people said, no, no, you really have to look at this house. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, it's too big. It's, it's destroyed. They said, just look at the view. And I looked out from the balcony. And I look over the National Park of Abruzzo. There's nothing in front of me but mountains and valleys and a river. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you decided to visit and then you moved there. Like, and what is your favorite thing about your village or maybe favorite things besides this amazing view and park? Wow. It's... I have to say, I don't think my village is much different than any small village in Italy. 
uh, there's a sense of community which is is really hard to even fathom to tell you the truth everybody helps each other out you know as 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 a new yorker and i have to say having grown up in new york and lived in new york for for a lot of my life your community is is basically the the neighbors in your apartment building it is its own little town let's say and this has it's a similar feeling but it's it's slow but if i had to say anything it's the food it's it's local the cheese is handmade the sausage is handmade the pasta is handmade to this morning i went and i bought tomatoes that grow in the gardens underneath my house that is what i love it's it's so much more authentic and there's this human touch to everything that sometimes we forget you know when you go and you buy a tomato there's a whole industry behind that of people you'll never know and here i know the old ladies that grew the tomato you know they're all in their 70s or 80 years old and they go and they pick the tomatoes and they bring them to the grocery store so it's that type of thing the town i have to say is trying to embrace um modern things which i'm not a fan of So I, I like I, I like it being its authentic self, which I think is 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 a great analogy for people. Like sometimes we chase these ideas of the way we should be, and we lose who we are. And I think you know that's what I really love about at least this small town and other small towns I I visited. It's authentic. I agree completely with you. I think it's a crime to to change things that are so beautiful. So that has a lot of story, and yes. no, I hope I hope it keeps the way it is. Right. And you were talking to us about fresh food. Actually, in my opinion, Italian cuisine is one of the best because it's varied and uses fresh products. Yes. If you go to, because I did live in Rome, um, it's losing the freshness. You know, it is becoming more in, industrial. But in Umbria, in Abruzzo, in Puglia, the, the, the food is so fresh. In Spain, I've spent a lot of time in Spain, Marbella, Sevilla, Madrid, Barcelona, the food there also for for me is absolutely fantastic but there's something so simple about italian food italian cuisine and to tell you the truth like this morning when i went shopping beautiful red tomatoes and we have a special garlic from this region it's red garlic from um a town called solmona and you just cut that up a little salt a little basil you let it sit for a half hour you put it on toasty bread and that's a meal i i think i will visit this place when i go to eat uh, definitely I, definitely robert what was like growing up in brooklyn can you tell us a little bit about your childhood oh, well i definitely can but so my story is i i was born in the bronx um i lived in harlem and queens 
But the majority of my childhood from five to 18 was, was on Long Island. So, um, but my childhood, first, I think it is amazing. It's an amazing experience for children to grow up in a, in a city um, because you learn a lot of life skills. But I will say that's also changing. You know, when I was a child, there were no play dates. There was, you, you, you went out and things were safer, let's say, or maybe they were perceived safer. I don't know. But, um, but I didn't have a traditional childhood because, um, and this will sound very funny, I was blessed to grow up with an alcoholic father. And I say the word blessed because if it wasn't for, let's say, being in that boot camp as a child, I wouldn't have learned the skills that allowed me to build and rebuild my life. And so at the time, I couldn't have looked at it that way. But the moment that, because my dad was pretty abusive, the moment I was able to defend myself, there, there was a, at least for me, there was this click inside me of, wait a minute, I am powerful. I'm not a victim here. I have to learn how to use my voice. I have to learn how to stand up for myself. And it was, it was a very interesting dynamic. I was, I was truly fortunate to have his mother. So my maternal grandmother was my support system. She taught me to imagine. She taught me to um, seek out people that I admired and the, the value of admiration and looking for role models and not believing that circumstances will be fixed, that they could change. And she was an Italian immigrant that, you know, went, I don't know, I think she only went to the fourth grade and her husband died very, very young. But she was this dynamic, independent woman. We used to call her Crazy Mary. Her name was Mary, but we would, because she seemed crazy, because she would just live this way that wasn't traditional. And that taught me so much. So I don't know if I would have had that spark of, oh, okay, I am powerful and I have a voice if I didn't have her behind me. But I look back at that time and of course it's, it's so long ago. There's, there's no longer the anger though. At the time, anger was my fuel. Anger was what I used to get away, to study a lot, to get good grades, to go to university, to make sure I made money so I would be independent, which is not sustainable. But I look back on that now, I understand how sad my father had to be, which is just heartbreaking to think that somebody could not feel comfortable in life and so was angry and would drink. And because life was not meeting his expectations, I assume, because we didn't really have a relationship where we spoke well, uh, spoke um, often. And so that was, was pretty much my, my childhood. I spent a lot of it. As soon as I turned 13, that's when I sort of stood up for myself. And I, 
I say it was because I watched the Rocky movies and I was drinking the the raw eggs and I got muscles. And, but, you know, um, I would work. I'd work before school. I'd work after school. I found whatever I could to find money because in my mind as a kid, the only thing that was going to save me was to have money to move away. Wow. And so I didn't hang out with friends a lot. I didn't have that type of interaction, but it, it gave me skills, which I'm, I'm so fortunate. I, I think about that all the time that, wow, I'm living an amazing life because of what I learned. Yeah, that's incredible because uh, from a bad experience, you, you turn it in a positive experience, let's say that. Yeah. And you, as a kid, you grew very strong. And thank goodness you had this amazing, lovely lady, which was your grandmother. And I saw that you would doodle often. So did yes. you ever make into making arts? Well, here, here's, here's an interesting thing. When I was young, I loved to draw and I loved to write. But that was considered by my, my father to be something very feminine. And I should have been playing baseball and basketball and football. And so it was condemned in a way. So I didn't really get, but when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot. And I remember winning some sort of award when I was young for some bird I drew or something. But the doodle, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why things happen. And I journaled, but I didn't journal as we journal as adults. I would just write because my head was full of, I was trying to figure out who I needed to be huh? to make my father happy. Um, but that doodle came from the idea of there has to be a point that things change. I just have to find that point. And I actually have this book, so I don't know. If, so, yeah. so that, okay. So that, yes. that, that's, that, that shouldn't be there, but that's because this was the mock-up. But so the doodle is like these, these lines going and crossing and what I, the middle point is transformation. And I, I believed in a way it was like, I grew up with Star Trek and, and those types of shows, right? So it was like an alternative universe that if I could just find the doorway, and that's all of how my life philosophy grew. Because what I realized is that doorway is a possibility but we don't know which possibility it's going to be. So we need to pursue possibilities for the curiosity of trying to get where we want to go. And that really is, is sort of how I started approaching life. And really it, it came into, let's say, a concrete form because when I was in university, I met an amazing young woman. I mean, just spectacular. Yeah. And through her, I learned that anger, while it is a fuel, is not sustainable. But love is sustainable. 
And that helped me understand purpose and passion and so many, so many other things. But I was an investment banker. I wasn't a life coach or, or anything like that. But I was a very introspective person because of my childhood. So I kept like thinking about like, what is this life and how does it work and how do you navigate it and all that other stuff. Um, and there came a point in time I actually was thinking about maybe changing careers. But it just so happened that at that moment in time, my, my wife was diagnosed with an illness and it, was, it, it wouldn't have made any sense to change careers. Um, I wound up leaving my career to help take care of her at the end, but it was a career that I entered solely for money, not for passion. And again, it's that kid inside me said, we need the money, we need the money, we need the money. The money couldn't stop the situation with my wife. So. I'm so sorry for your loss, Robert. And no, thanks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. I read that Dr. Desiree Pardee became a leading practitioner in palliative care. So can you, do you mind? No, I, I love to talk about her. So, <laughs> um, for, for sure. So my wife, um, before she turned 31 was diagnosed with late stage breast cancer and she was already in medical school. And so when she was diagnosed, she, she was a super strong person. Uh, so when she was diagnosed, two, two things occurred. One, she said to me, she said, Robert, I don't want to know anything about my disease because I know enough of medicine to be dangerous to myself. So I just want to be, when it comes to when I'm a patient, I just want to be a patient. So I go in, I get the chemo, I leave, you deal with the doctors. And I said, okay, that was a gift I could give her. Um, the other thing is she said, you know what, this happened. I can't change it happened, but I don't want this to define me. I want to define it. And she said, I'm going to use this to become a doctor in palliative care because who's better than somebody that is suffering from a disease. And she became the founding director of palliative care at New York hospital while having metastatic breast cancer. 
basically she received chemotherapy every other Friday for 11 years. 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. But her diagnosis was terminal when she was 31 years old. And then, you know, it, it was terminal. They gave, they gave me a lifespan of around three years, but we didn't have the equipment we have today. So this was in the late nineties and there's no fault at all because in the late nineties, a 30 year old woman with a lump in her breast was not a, a, at risk for breast cancer. Now it's normal back then it wasn't, but so we didn't have PET scans. We didn't have the imaging. So when she was diagnosed, all her lymph nodes were positive. The, the two, you know, there were so many things that said this is terminal, but it was treated and she went through everything and there was about a nine month period that they didn't see any cancer in her body but that was because the imaging wasn't as good as today and then when it was big enough to see we realized well i realized she she only knew it was in her liver because we had to take out part of her liver but you know it was in multi-organs and um but she was so passionate she was driven so much by passion i also want to believe by love of me and she wanted to stay with me but really she she wanted to leave what she called a positive signature and she rarely missed a day of work uh her, the 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 hospital she worked at the hospital she went to school at they they all worked around the disease it was just absolutely incredible and so she achieved what she wanted and so with metastatic breast cancer, she became the founding director of palliative care at New York Hospital. Um, we went to India and she volunteered in the hospital in India. There were many other things that she did as well. So when she passed away, I had this example of someone that lived their life, regardless of what was happening in life. And she had become my purpose that when she passed away i felt lost and so what did i do i ran directly back to money i went to dubai i was making money i had to pay off bills but it didn't resonate with me and that's how i showed up in italy because i said to myself well you know what if i ask myself the question what if i achieve my dream instead of what if I fail, mm. what would I do? And it was, I take the chance to go live in Italy. What's the worst thing that can possibly happen? Yeah. I had already lost my wife, I lost money. I lost, you know, I, I left work for a while. So it was like, the worst thing is, I'm gonna be 50 years old and living with my mother. So, you know, that, that was like what it could be, but, this this led me to to so much awareness and i realized that i was never really my wife's caregiver because she was very self-sufficient i wound up being her coach and I, at that time i didn't really realize it right but i was there to motivate her i was there to help her achieve her dreams to overcome fears there were so many different things that a life coach does that i decided i'm, I'm going to become a life coach 
I said, that's, that's what I miss about the, that my, my previous, of course I miss Desiree. I miss Desiree every day, but I missed being that support. And I'm like, oh, but that's actually a job to be a life coach. And during the pandemic, a friend of mine, a very good friend, after Desiree died, asked me some stories about Desiree. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic, she came up to me and she said, this is an outline for a book. I wrote down your stories. You need to tell this story, which was my first book, Chasing Life, mm -hmm. because it's an example of rising above complacency and living in a state of joy regardless of the circumstances, because that's exactly what we did. We learned how to be present. We learned how to realize that joy is all around us. Happiness is a completely other animal because happiness is based on something internal or external. Joy is a state, in my opinion, anyway. And so I wrote Chasing Life, and that opened up this flood of wanting to write all this stuff that had been in my mind for so long. And so I wound up writing three books in one year, wow. which was crazy, but I just felt I needed to write. I was like, I need to say these things. And there are three independent books that together are a very unusual trilogy because my first book, Chasing Life, is the example of living in joy. The second book, which looks like a children's book, but it's, it, act, well, it actually is written like a children's book, but for adults. Because as adults, we forget to play, we forget to imagine. So the second book is about imagination. Because imagination is what helps us see possibilities. And then the third book, Possibility in Action, which is the, the most recent book, is more of a workbook. It's a journaling prompt book to ask yourself questions and see the possibilities and learn how to take action. Yeah. So. Wow. And Robert, you were saying, you were saying some of these things are so like, we need to hear these things. We need to listen to these things every day so we can because we all know that it's very important to stay in the present moment, but sometimes we forget and keep making plans to the future all the time. Yeah. I'm one of these people. <laughs> and I think we need to be, I don't know, mindful so we can enjoy the present. So what are your tips? Without spoiling, what are your tips? stay in the present moment and enjoy life at the at its best uh, sure i'm not spoiling anything and it's a great question it's absolutely a great question you know being present doesn't mean you don't plan we have to plan um it it, it is it's also part of our mental wellness to plan because it's part of our cognitive function. So we can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. But what being present really means is surrendering the outcome of those plans. It is being okay with it not happening and being happy about the journey. 
And so here's a, a real interesting thing. We all have heard the term, um, life is a journey. You have to enjoy the journey. It's not about the destination. What in the world does that mean? Well, the more I dug into the journey to understand the journey, we have to go back to being kids. Because, yeah, there were plans about college and everything else, and before we accumulated all these fears, but it was curiosity. What's next? We had these plans, but, you know, it was an obstacle course, and finding the ability to be present and be happy with the way things are right now is to let go of that potential outcome. And the Stoics had a great visual for this because they, they talked about the archer, right? Mm -hmm. And the archer, once they let go of that bow, there are many variables that can happen where it's not going to hit the target. But they had to know they were doing their best in that moment. And so part of being present is to say, okay, I am working towards a goal and I am here right now. This is the best I can do and focus on what you're doing now, not whether or not it's going to happen. There's, there's another aspect of, of all of this as well. And part of it is because we, we have become a culture obsessed with what other people have, how other people look, where other people live. And just for your, your listeners, yeah, it, yes, I live in Italy. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's not right for everybody. It's not anything to compare yourself against because it's not Italy that makes a difference. It's what's in my mind that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. It is the mindset to move to Italy or to change. That's, that's really what it comes down to. But because we have this lifestyle of constantly comparing and thinking we need more and we're trying to fill a void of worth or whatever the case is, um, a good thing to do is to remind yourself, we, it is only when we value the ordinary moments that we live an extraordinary life. It's the, the giggle with a friend. It's playing with your dog. Those, those things are what makes life. So don't, don't miss them. Because if you're constantly focused on the future, you're missing them. So what can you, can you say something to yourself? Everyone has their own mantra. Um, but I always ask myself, I start the day, I have a bunch of quotes and things that I, I say to myself, but one of the things I say to myself is, I want to pay attention today. That's all I need to tell myself. I start my day with, I want to pay attention. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be nice and shiny, you know, but I need to pay attention to this life I'm living. Wow. Yes, and by saying this, I just realized uh, what you were saying, that the most, I think, beautiful things or most interesting things are the things that are free. Like before the pandemic, I was not really enjoying seeing, like looking at this 
the sky or going around and seeing the trees and looking at the kids and dogs. Uh, and then after this pandemic, I started paying attention to the small things and enjoying every single moment. You know, so many people ask me about my life, and my wife and I were very blessed early on before her diagnosis, because with her diagnosis, money became an issue. But um, before that, we would travel to five-star hotels, and we had a wonderful life. I can't remember the names of those hotels, but I can remember her laughing at friends. I can remember her playing with a dog. I can remember ice cream cones. And and crunchy leaves under our feet, and those simple things. Sometimes we are so involved in achieving that all the stuff we have just fades away, and we, we don't realize that we actually have so much. And there, there are people that probably you know might not have lost a job or um, have suffered something similar to me and and they're sort of like well I have I have nothing it takes practice to start to look past the things we wish didn't happen and it feels very unusual because we give a lot of weight as humans to the bad things because it's a protective mechanism we have to pay our, our brain from way back when is programmed to watch out for, you know, dinosaurs and, and everything else. I mean, you know, they say one of the, one of the things a baby is afraid, afraid of when they're born, if you show them a picture, I don't know if this is true, but I've read this a number of times, is a snake. They don't know what a snake is. Why should they be afraid of a snake? But that shape, somewhere signals something in our brain. So um, Viktor Frankl, who wrote A Man's Search for Meaning, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor, he talked about the space between stimulus and response. And part of learning how to be present is actually slowing down and not reacting and being honest with yourself most of us react to life. We don't respond. So if you take a break, you're actually thinking about how you want to show up. And the moment you start thinking about how you want to respond, you're present. If you react, you're not present. You're, you're not even participating. It's just automatic. Mm -hmm. And uh, Robert, you published your latest book, that's entitled Living Possibility. So what, can you tell us a little bit about this book? Sure, and I, I actually sent you the wrong bio. So it was originally going to be Living Possibility, but in the end, it's become Possibility in Action. Okay, I saw it, yeah. yeah. I, yep. yeah. Because and, and the reason I decided on possibility in action is that's actually my personal definition. I call myself possibility in action. I ask myself every day, 
how am I going to show up as possibility in action? And in the evening, I ask myself, did I show up as possibility in action? And what that really means is broadening your perspective to see all the different possibilities and learning how to overcome fear so you can take action. You know, if you read, the funny thing is the conversation we're having right now is the same conversation Plato and Socrates had 2,000 years ago. If you read anything they've written, we're still talking about the same thing. The Matrix, the movie, which I love, um, is based on Plato's analogy of living in a cave. It, it's that story. And so we're talking about the same things because what's happened is the ancient philosophers did not say study these books. They said, find the book that works for you and put it into action. It's action that helps us overcome fear because we confront it. You know, I, I say this on a lot of podcasts. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. And Voldemort was, his nickname was the one who shall not be named. If you don't name your fear, it's much bigger than it really is. You have to step in and you have to look at it. You have to be friends with it. And then you have to learn how to live with it and eventually leave it aside. That's the action that can only come from action. You cannot stay in your head trying to overcome a fear. If you are afraid of flying, you can't get over it just thinking about it. You have to actually do something that triggers that you're capable of doing it. And you might get to the ledge and panic. But you know what? You got to the ledge, something you wouldn't have done. That already shows you're capable of working through it. But we don't take that step a lot of times because of failure, because of a lot of other things. So possibility in action is broadening your perspective to see possibilities, learning to overcome fear so you take action, all of that so you can transform your life and live the life you are meant to live. Because we're all unique. We are 100% unique. My life is not right for anybody but me. And that's what's so powerful. That's what real diversity is, in my opinion. Real diversity is mindset. If we just stop trying to all be the same. Now, of course, there, there, there are rules. There's morality. You don't hurt people. You don't do a lot of things. But if we just can say... This is who I am. This is the way I live. This is how I show up. I have a lot of my friends that when I decided to do this, they condemned me. They're like, you're leaving a job in Dubai, all that money. See, you've lived the same thing. Yeah. That doesn't make them wrong. But it just means that you're outgrowing those people because your uniqueness is telling you you want something else. And I think that's it's absolutely a beautiful gift we are actually given that we're not like anybody else. We just have to learn to value it. Robert, you are such an inspiration. Thanks. Uh, you didn't have 
the easiest childhood and yet you became a very successful person and yes i i would like to know where can our listeners find you find your books and your retreats <laughs> oh sure I <laughs> thank you. Thank you for men mentioning the retreats because I'm very excited about it. So, um, well, my, my website, which is Robert Party, P-A-R-D-I.com, is where you could basically find everything. Um, I do have Facebook. I do have Instagram. I'm not that active on it. I am always on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And my books are because I... Uh, what's it called? Hybrid published, and then I self-published. I finally decided to self-publish, um, but they're only on Amazon. So if if anyone just looks up Robert Party on Amazon, th the three books come up, and uh, yeah, so that's it. And and what I what I'd love to to say because I I do so appreciate that that you're saying that you know I'm an inspiration. Uh, I've learned from every single person I've ever met. I think we're all inspirational. And I think really what we contribute to the world is our story. We're all content creators. We all have content for someone. If it just resonates with one person, it's impactful. But the idea of me becoming successful, I have to say, is because of learning about admiration when I was young. Learning who do I admire? And then when I was in a situation that felt uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do, we, because we do always have answers inside. It's, it's incredible. We really, really do. But when I would say to myself, well, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I then ask myself, what would that person that I admire do? And that helped me understand a new possibility. And so I, I, I like to offer that to, to your listeners that think about that. If you're ever stuck anywhere and you don't know what to do, because there's no right thing to do, let's say, you know, because we don't know what the outcome is ever going to be of whatever decisions we make. I could have never imagined that I was going to be living in a town of 900 people with a castle in my backyard. So, you know, I could have never planned that. I could have never, no, but that's why curiosity is important. But if you do feel stuck and you want to make a different decision, ask yourself, what would someone I admire do here? I love it, yeah. Absolutely. I'll start doing it today. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I just love your interview. I'm sure our listeners will be interested about your books. You are a speaker as well. I am I am a speaker and I forgot to mention the retreat, which um it's held in Puglia. So it's it's tw it's twice a year. And it's not a retreat of coaching. It's more of a group of people sitting down, visiting cool places, using those places as a metaphor for a life event, discussing it together, 
coming up with an action plan while we're drinking wine and eating pasta and cooking together. So it's, <laughs> it's joy for it's sure. Cute. Yes. <laughs> the RV is ready to visit you in Puglia or other places in Italy. I would just love to talk to you again. Our Me too. doors are always open to you. Wonderful. I definitely would like to stay in touch. And we're practically neighbors, right? You're you're in Spain and, and I'm in Italy. That's that's nothing. <laughs> nothing for sure. Our paths will cross someday. For sure. For sure. Thank you very, very much. And have a beautiful day in your paradise. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.